The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We have an amazing show for you today. Um, My guest is a doctor who... Uh, claims to have, and we will. I will leave it up to you because it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing story. Uh, claims to have, and he has the pictures to prove it. <laughs> claims to have not not only met Bin Laden before uh, the SEAL team did, um, but also claims to have eaten with him and tried to warn uh, our government, the United States government, about him, but no one would listen. Uh, this is way before, if you saw the movie Zero Dark Thirty, it's way before what was portrayed there and way before the May 2011 actual uh, killing of bin Laden. So um, I, his new book is called Tears on the Sand, An American Doctor's Mission of Mercy Becomes the Successful Search for the World's Most Wanted Man. And um, Dr. Agris is a very well-respected plastic surgeon, um, before this story about bin Laden, he made countless trips all over the world, actually, but including Pakistan and Afghanistan, uh, helping children and helping women who have children with congenital deformities, women who have um, been victims of assaults, and uh, and so on. Um, he is does these mercy missions all over the world. He's been doing that for, uh, I believe, it's three decades. And um, and he does. He is still a practicing, uh, respected surgeon in Texas. So um, so I, with that sort of introduction, um, Dr. Akers, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Lieberman. Appreciate being on. Thank you. Um, let's. I, I know you know the story about you meeting and eating with and and knowing where he lives, Bin Laden. <laughs> um, is I mean I'm sure you have lots of people who well obviously the State Department for example but even just in course of conversation I mean I'm sure you you have people who find it very difficult to believe what your story is and so before um, before we get into that I just would like to you to talk about um, sort of your life before that how you started um, going on these mercy missions helping uh, fix people's deformities uh, throughout the world. So tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I grew up with three brothers and a mother. Uh, My father was deceased when I was 10 years old. I was working when I was 10 years old. And I've been fortunate. I've I've done well. My brothers have done well. We, We got ourselves educated, and my mother saw to that. And 
we did well, and I always wanted to give back. And about three decades ago, as you said, we started with our first mission trips, mostly to Central America, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala. Uh, and then I kind of liked the adrenaline rush. I went into uh, Nicaragua during the last few years of Contra Sandinista, and with my team we treated uh, thousands of children and war-injured people. And then uh, later we were the second aircraft to land civilian non-military in Vietnam, mm. and uh, it goes back uh, after 69-71, and then uh, we just went worldwide. I've been to Oman and Syria and Jordan and Egypt and Palestine and Israel, Iraq before the war. We then uh, worked our way across uh, to Vietnam, and from there, uh, China, and then uh, southern India and Malaysia, and then all of Central America, of course, and our neighbor, Mexico. And from there, uh, recent trips, we just got back from Nicaragua on a mission trip. And the one before that was in a small town called Tumbas, which is just uh, going uh, to Lima, Peru, and then on to Tumbas. And so I got to do uh, tens of thousands of surgeries, mostly children, like 80 to 90 percent children, maybe 10, 15 percent adults. And the other thing that happened is, as we did this, we got to meet and came back uh, repeated times to these different countries. You get to meet uh, the local mayor, and then the mayor might introduce you to what we would call the congressperson, or uh, looking at that way, or the senator. They have different names, different countries. Mm -hmm. And finally, you get to meet uh, presidents and kings and queens and uh, princes and then uh, when they need medical care, a lot of them have ended up at the Texas Medical Center. Oh. I've operated on a number of presidents, the kings of Saudi Arabia. Uh, I've flown there to work as well as to work here. And uh, it's been, you know, an exciting life that way. But on the other hand, it's been very rewarding by the number of children that we've treated because, you know, we just don't do a surgery Usually we give a two- or three-day seminar and teach. It goes back to the old saying, you know, don't give the man the fish, give him a fishing rod and a hook and show him how to use it. So we go over there and we want the local doctors to be updated and to provide them with the equipment through our Children's Foundation, which is what the book is. Anyone who purchases the book, Tears on the Sand, is not purchasing a book. They're making a donation to the Children's Foundation. All the money from the books I've written goes straight to the foundation. And then uh, it just pro has progressed uh, from there, and I do about four trips outside the U.S. every year. But I want people to also know that any letter we get from a school, from a, a religious institution, from a needy family right here in the States, uh, we look at that first. We take care of everyone at home, and uh, we're proud of it. And if it's outside my field of specialty, I can twist a few doctors' arms and uh, get them to uh, help uh, help us uh, take care of the child or uh, even the adult, uh, and uh, that's the way it's been, plus my private practice. Okay. So now uh, tell us about when um, you well, the road to bin Laden, when you started, what made you decide, first of all, to go into Pakistan and Afghanistan? And I think that was, you started about five years 
or well, now uh, I guess a little it's more a little than five more. years ago, I met with a group called the House of Charity, and they needed uh, physicians. Uh, several things happened in Pakistan. You can remember the earthquakes and the problems in Haiti. Well, uh, there were several floods through the Indus Valley. Haiti, there was about a million people, a million and a half people involved. The floods in the Indus Valley of Pakistan involved 15 to 20 million people, homeless, mm-hmm. without electricity, without sanitation, without medical care. And, uh, you know, to see a clinic, we go to Nicaragua, we see a clinic, we see 100 people. You go down there and you see a clinic, the first day there's 500 people. Huh. And we work starting 7 in the morning until 1 or 2 the next morning. Uh, and then every day after they hear we're there, uh, they, they continue to, to, to flock in. Uh, it's unbelievable uh, the number of people uh, that we get to see on any one of these uh, trips. It's a lifetime of surgery in a month. And mm-hmm. it's everything. You know, it's not just cleft lip or cleft palate, but all congenital hand injuries in particular because it's a farming community, war injuries because of what's going on now, uh, war injuries in the sense of the drone attacks. Uh, half of the people that we see in third world countries are burn injuries because they cook outside or they cook in their tent or in their uh, little mud hut, and it doesn't take much for the whole place to go up in flames or for kids you know, playing ball or kicking a soccer ball and he's not looking where he's going, and he slams into the pot that Mom has boiling to, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. a pot as big as a tub that she's doing wash-in, and all of a sudden we got a scalding injury. Uh, so burns make up about half of what we deal with, mm. congenital maybe another 30%, and then other injuries, whether they're farm injuries or uh, industrial or... Um, War-related make up another maybe 20%, and uh, it's it's exciting to do the reconstruction because my practice here in the States is cosmetic, and uh, or at least 80% cosmetic and 20% reconstruction. We don't see these type of injuries here in the States, and uh, it's mostly a cosmetic practice. So. Uh-huh. So when you went to Pakistan and Afghanistan, was it your intent from the beginning? Did you have in the back of your mind, I would like to find bin Laden? No, it wasn't an intent or a a purposeful uh, direction. But if you can think of the map of uh, Pakistan, the capital is Islamabad, and that's just within an hour of the Indian border. It's uh, right on the east side about midway between north and south. Just north of that is this little city called Hadapur, maybe 20 minutes outside the capital. And then another 20 or 30 minutes outside the capital is Abbottabad, almost in a straight line, going toward what we call the Karakoram, uh, which is the old silk route that Marco Polo took. And then north of that is another city called Mansera. And then as you move about two hours north of that, you're in the northern territories. So almost in a straight line, you're moving from valleys and farm country to rolling hills in Mansera uh, to the Himalayas with snow-capped mountains, all within a couple hours' drive, and all within an hour of the capital. Well, Bin Laden had five wives. He divorced his first wife, which left an opening to take on a new wife, Seda. And... 
she was pregnant every year, and she delivered her babies in the civil hospital, which would be same as calling it our community type hospital here. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, a hospital is a patent place. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I've had dignitaries, presidents. Uh, in 24 hours, everybody knows who's there, mm-hmm. what's going on, who's doing what. And, you know, it was no secret that she was delivering a baby. And nine months later, another baby. And during the time they were in this uh, small village just outside the capital, just outside Islamabad, uh, that's when he was doing the designs for his uh, new home. Hmm. Okay. The, um, we hear the music, so we need to take a break here. But, of course, this is a good cliffhanger to leave on. My guest is Dr. Joseph Agris. His book is Tears on the Sand. We're talking about and we're his um, road to find bin Laden. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Here with Joseph Agris, MD. He is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon in Texas, and he's talking about, well, first of all, his new book called Tears on the Sand, which describes his search for and finding of Osama bin Laden before um, the SEAL team did, and his um, his attempts to warn the U.S. government. So we're just uh, we're just at the beginning, actually, of that. When you were talking about how one of um, Bin Laden's wives would give birth every year or every nine months or so, and um, how everyone in the hospital knew that she was Bin Laden's wife, presumably. Well, 
the other thing about it was uh, this wife came from a different part of the country, a different tribe, and yet she shows up at a hospital with a uh, gentleman who's a Peshtun, and the mix didn't fit. But the Peshtun was actually a guy by the name of Abraham, Abraham, and he was the man who was the runner, the guy who was quietly passing the information that bin Laden was, you know, disseminating that he didn't want to use electronics. To, he was so worried about getting spotted by electronic surveillance. So, uh, you know, it didn't fit that this young lady was coming in, and then within 24 oh, wait, so hours... Was she, was she pretending that this man, Abraham, was the, the father? A family member. Uh-huh. And that didn't fit. I mean, these... If you know the tribes in the areas, uh, and you know, uh, as I have learned, uh, that didn't go with, uh-huh. a, a, Sudan, with a Sudanese girl. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, in 18 months or so, while he's there, they plan the compound, uh, and it's built, and they move to Abbottabad. Now, the city of Abbottabad is a military city. It has every branch of the Pakistani military is in Abbottabad, including their famous military college, which would only be equal to our West Point. He lived two blocks away from that place, you know, their their military college, uh-huh. uh, you know, within, you know, it would be like living two blocks from West Point, plus having all the other military installations in the area. Mm-hmm. I mean, then she delivers more babies in Abbottabad. Now, meanwhile, what is the ISI or Pakistani Secret Service telling the U.S., or I don't know how the information is passed, but we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars looking through the caves of Tora Bora, <laughs> 2,000 miles away, and through the mountains of the Northern Territories, uh, and there he is sitting in a Abbottabad, and his wife is delivering a kid every year. Well, come on, how far is Daddy away from Mommy when she's pregnant and delivers a baby Every year, I mean, he's not two thousand or twenty five hundred miles away. I'll tell you that right now. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And uh, there were lots of other little things like that that just didn't fit the picture. Well, and what about if she just to play devil, devil's advocate? What about if she would go to him? Um, a couple of months a year, you know, and and uh, so that he would have time to fertilize her. Well, that's one idea, except they were all seen locally, these people. Uh-huh. I mean, there were 14 children in that compound, and those children got sick, and those children needed their immunizations. And then one of the programs that the, I guess, our Secret Service or our CRA came up with was they passed out photos of bin Laden and his sons and, and, and the women, whatever they had photos of, and they got doctors to offer free vaccinations and say, you know, if you uncover any of these pictures in the photos, we're going to pay you a lot of money, mm. and the way you're going to get into the houses is you're going to offer to give the polio cubes and the vaccinations. Mm. Well, it didn't take too long for that to become obvious, and, of course, 
uh, I don't remember you if you read about it or not, but the U.N. raised holy hell over this whole thing because their entire polio program and vaccination for measles, mumps, chicken par, et cetera, just went to hell. Uh, and no one would let any doctors in, and it changed the attitude in this last year uh, or the year leading up to uh, the takedown of bin Laden of uh, these programs. It, it basically destroyed them. And yet, uh, here again, another organization, the U.N., is spending all this money to have the world free of uh, measles and chickenpox and, of course, uh, polio. With Pakistan was, uh, especially in the Northern Territories, one of the few countries left uh, that still had these problems. And here, uh, because of this program of uh, trying to send doctors in to hunt him or his family, uh, and the word got out, uh, doctors were, you know, blacklisted or given a bad name. It just made things hmm. uh, very difficult. And then for those who have read the book and seen the movie... Uh, yes, I saw it. Well, yeah. Zero, you're talking about Zero Dark Authority? Yeah, the only part of that that I can say was truthful, and you could have watched it on TV because it was shown later on, was the takedown. Uh, all that, quote, we don't call it torture, it's waterboarding, and it's supposed to be acceptable. But that isn't how they found out where he was. One of the local doctors decided he wanted the $25 million and just gave the information. And unfortunately, this guy, you'd have to think of him as an American patriot for bringing this out at the time. Uh, he's been locked up by the ISI for about a year. We don't even know if he's still alive. And his family has completely disappeared. Hmm. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, he made a big mistake. He should have asked for asylum over here for him and his mm. family and then taken the money and then given the information, mm. not given it on Pakistani soil. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the attitude there. And the, you know, we think of the, we have a lot of respect for our Secret Service and our uh Secretary of State and what we do here, but over there, it's very divided. Uh, you have the militant group, which has a large control. I say maybe 70 to 80 percent is the Islamists in the ISI and in the other areas, and less than 20 percent favor us. Uh, so, well, t well, tell us about how you got. Um, before you know, before, before this doctor claimed the award or tried to, um, how did you t tell us about your uh, progression towards meeting Bin Laden? Well, I was uh, further uh, south and west uh, along what's called the Grand Trunk Road. It's not a road; it's just a dangerous highway where you can get yourself killed every day. Um, and we were coming out of Peshawar. And I had met, as I traveled, with the mullahs and mulimas, which are those who, the religious leaders, and expressed, you know, some interest in saying, uh, I read the Koran several times, and we always would have a good discussion about, you know, Muslims aren't supposed to kill Muslims, and uh, women are supposed to be able to be educated. There's nothing in the Koran that says they can't, yet 70% of all women over there are not educated, and probably 40% of men are not educated. Uh, and until that happens, we're not going to really see any changes. Mm. But, uh, you know, 
I would always discuss and say it would be really interesting to uh, meet bin Laden. And uh, what a lot of Americans don't know, in the last three or four years, his name was not Osama bin Laden anymore. It was Sheikh Mohammed bin Laden. He changed mm. his name. Mm. And the reason he changed his name is because the Koran said that when the Messiah comes, his name would be Mohammed. Mm. And that's how he pictured himself. He saw himself as the new prophet, the coming of the Messiah. I mean, he, that's that was his mental state. Uh-huh. Um, he saw himself as that, and um, I think that's something that's not talked about, and we don't get to um, appreciate that at all from uh, what we read and see and hear. And he was very well versed. Uh, he studied in the uh, school in Peshawar and uh, had a very uh, religious uh, background and upbringing. Um, and he did call for the jihad, but he was not a religious leader. So the call for a jihad was not considered appropriate. Um, anyway, when I was there, they said, they asked where I was going, and I said I was going up into an area called Summerkind, actually a place where Winston Churchill went over 100 years ago. And uh, he wrote an interesting book called The Summer Kind Force. And he said, never go up there. Hmm. You cannot win. An army cannot win. And, you know, if we haven't learned that yet in Afghanistan and along the Afghanistan-Pakistan mm-hmm. border, uh, you know, Churchill put it in a book 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't beat these tribe men. I mean, there's two, you know, you send 50,000, even 100,000 soldiers, there's two and a half million of them, and hmm. they're all armed. And they live off the land, and they can drink the water melt from the glaciers, and they know what they can eat, and they can move through areas that they're familiar with. And it's not a place where you can face armies off, as you typically think of in World War II or even in Korea and Vietnam. Uh And there's nothing to bomb. You know, you can bomb a cave here, and maybe you'll get a few, but all the rest are gone in someplace else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, as I moved through this area... He said, uh, no, you need to go east. And I said, toward Abbottabad? And he says, uh, you may seek bin Laden, but when he's ready, he will find you. And, you know, that was a religious way of putting it from a, one of the mulimas. But I took the hint, and we took the Grand Trunk Road east and then connected and Abbottabad is near the southern tip of where the Karakoram comes in. And we went there, and there's a place called the uh, Frontier Medical College. And I got permission to lecture there and then to um, operate. And while we were there, we got more information about this young lady said it. She was delivering babies there again. <laughs> Hmm. And, uh, you know, you start putting two and two together. Uh-huh. Hmm. All right. Well, we need to take a break now. We'll, we'll get to four okay. after the break. My guest is, is Dr. Joseph Agris. Um, an amazing story. His book is Tears on the Sand. I don't want to take more time away. I want to get back to his story. So this is you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, 
Dr. Kara Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer, and someday you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Clip has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Clip help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Joseph Agris, M.D., he is the doctor who found Bin Laden before the SEAL team, but no one would listen. Uh, his book is called Tears on the Sand, and we were in the middle <laughs> of his story, um, where you're getting closer to finding Bin Laden. You know, uh, it's really it's really amazing um, that you were even able, given this much information, or that you were able to... Uh, I mean, I know that the people were really grateful that you were performing all these operations and teaching them and all that, but it is still amazing that you've been getting, that you were able to get that close, and we haven't even gotten to the point of you, which I'd like you to talk about now, um, well, how you actually, that, got, how you, you know, got to meet Bin Laden. The thing is that you have a religious leader, and you're more open with that religious leader, especially in, in times of stress than you are with anyone else. You also are more open with your physician, especially in times of stress, than with anyone else. Right. And it's a very high trust factor. And then if your physician is the one that saved your life or especially changed your child's life uh, and says, you know, I just want to write about, I would like to see the mind, the thinking, what's going on, uh, you put the word out on the street, and as you went from place to place, I did put the word out on the street. And then information, a little bit at a time, uh, came in and, and collected it. And, you know, there we were in a Batabat, uh, you know, where he'd been for 
six, maybe eight years. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the other feeling I got after we, you know, were pretty certain he was in a bot to bot and had, you know, decided on that, I visited with some congressmen, some senators, um, and it was really kind of interesting. I don't know how our government runs. I, I know why Congress has less than a 10% rating. I can see it. Uh, you've got to get through some 20-year-old uh, summer political intern or winter intern before you can get to the to the congressman. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, it's the... Is the country being run by a bunch of college students who are political interns, or is it being run by the people that we elected to run it? Yeah. So you've got to come up against that first, and then they get to come up against the scheduling secretary. And then if you get lucky and you stand your ground long enough, the chief of staff comes out to talk to you, who, you know, he or she, and, you know, you start talking about where you were, and you get things like, uh, oh, I was in Pakistan. Oh, you were in the capital, Karachi. I said, no, the capital's not Karachi. It's in Islamabad. And you're talking to these people, <laughs> and they don't even know where Pakistan's located, much less, you know, what the, you know, what the capital city is. Mm. Or if you mention any of these smaller cities, you know, Mansara, Abbottabad, Jacobabad, uh, Larkana, Lahore, how close you are to the Indian border, how close you are to the... Uh, Pakistan-Afghan border, where's Baluchistan, what's Punjab? I mean, it's like, you know, this is what's between yeah. me and the congressman. Yes, yeah. so, okay, the, well, we'll get to that, what happened when you came back. But but tell us about meeting, how you got to meet bin Laden. Well, it came down to the same thing. Uh, the longer I stayed there and the more I worked, it was basically... Um, just what I was was told. Um, you don't go look. You know. Yeah, he you finds find you. That, he's going to so find did, you. So he he found he found you. I mean, how did that happen? Well, we met with Abraham, uh, Abraham, the same runner that was running all his mission, and his brother. There were two of them, and they were both two Peshtuns. And then uh, I guess I was trusted. You know, I had. Uh, they call me their Dr. Angel in uh, Urdu. And uh, the other name, which uh, is kind of funny because I wear my Stetson, my Texas Stetson, they call me the crazy Texan. And uh, when they see it, they always yell Dallas because uh-huh. the segments of Dallas have gone out worldwide. So <laughs> they see uh-huh. me as a, as a horseback riding, gun-toting uh, Texan. And that's interesting worldwide that I found out that you can do so much more as a Texan uh-huh. than you can. They don't see a Texan as an American mm. or as a, as a, what they call over there, USA. They call you, oh, you're from USA. Mm. And no, I'm from Texas. And that is, again, another trust factor. It's a different it's so interesting it how television, you know, they're really, you're relating to you like a character, the character on television. It's so interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they see me, and, you know, I'm from Houston, but, you know, when they say Dallas, I go, yeah, Dallas is just yeah. next door. Um, and it, it's a whole different thing. So and then what was there, he like? He wanted to get his story out. I, I mean, he, that's what he really wanted to do. And I think... 
he wanted to show he's not. He had this one side that was very religious, and the other side that, you know, when asked the question, why are you killing other Muslims, especially when the Koran says um, you can't, we went into discussions about a writer by the name of Qutub, who was a gentleman who came to the States and then returned and then made comments based on the Koran in which he said everything in the States you know, you can't play cards. The women are supposed to be covered. You don't dance. Uh, the music is inappropriate. Uh, dress is inappropriate. And Bin Laden was what you call a Wahhabit, the most severe of the um, orthodox. I guess that's the best word mm -hmm. uh, in our language. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you were a practicing Muslim, but you were not an orthodox practicing Muslim, you were killable. I mean, he mm. wanted to get rid of the leaders in Egypt. He wanted to see Egypt fall and Syria and the king of Jordan. And most of all, he wanted to see Abdullah bin Aziz and the other members of the royal family in Arabia fall. I mean, uh, they, none of them, as far as he was concerned, were religious enough. Mm. Uh, they didn't fit the Wahhabit attitude, and yet the Saudis are supposed to be the Wahhabits. They're the ones that are the keepers of Mecca and Medina, the two religious, you know, cities. Uh, and yet he felt uh, they did not uh, adhere to that, and he was as much against them as he was anything else. Mm. But then when the Saudis took away his passport and they closed his bank accounts, and that money came from his father, who was, was named Muhammad, uh, in construction, billions of dollars in construction. Uh, he was cut off and left with just, you know, a few million here and there. And he was in Sudan, and he said, well, you know, if I don't have the money and I can't kill him with bullets, I'm going to kill him with drugs. And besides, I can use the drugs to sustain myself. So he set up, with what money he had, the largest and most efficient and the best, you know, drug labs in the world. And I had a driver, his name was Muhammad, and to make some real money, Muhammad used to run these lorries, the trucks, when he was a few years younger. And if you read the book, I don't know if I painted a target on my back or not, though Muhammad said everybody knows it. He gave me the entire route those trucks took hmm. to uh, take the poppies, to get them processed, to take them then on to uh, Corsica and, and Italy and Turkey, and then how they got shipped. Uh, I can't believe we don't know that in this country. I just don't understand why we haven't put a damper on it. The amount of money that was estimated that came in every year to him and the drug trade hmm. was 5 to $7 billion, B with a billion dollars, that was 60% sold in Europe, 40% or maybe 50-50 U.S. and Europe, so that every person who bought drugs, traded huh. drugs, as far as I'm concerned, is a terrorist. And mm -hmm. instead of turning them over to the local police, we should be turning them over to the military, and they should go to a military tribunal for terrorism. And, of course, there's only one result if you're found guilty, and that is, you know, you get in front of a firing wall and they shoot you. And you know we would end we would end drugs in this country that way 
if we took that attitude, and we'd end it very quickly. Well, except uh, a lot of the people, most of the people who are using drugs don't even know where they, or care where the drugs come from. So I don't know. So if I'm that's... not after the addict who's buying it at the end. I'm after the guy who's importing it, transporting oh, yes. it, selling it. Yes, but, yes. Uh, that's where we need to make the shock. Uh, no, they they shouldn't get you know ten to fifteen years, and they're back out on the street in three. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They're the terrorists. That money was used to go back there, buy the bullets, and to kill our own forces and to provide for the training camps because he was broke. When he left Sudan, he didn't have the money for what, what he was able to continue. And uh, so was he um, willing to? A- I mean, you asked him presumably about nine eleven, and was he answering all your questions? A lot of questions weren't answered directly. He used quotes from the Koran, uh-huh. or he quoted others. There's, uh, you know, if you just take even uh, the Torah, there's the book of writings relative or the interpretations of the Torah, and if you take the Bible, the old version of the new ones, there's the interpretations of that, and they've been written by uh, different people. And the Koran has its books also, and he would quote from them or from uh, people like uh, q and others, and that would be his interpretation of the answer of the question, which, you know what, didn't answer the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was... Gosh, it's like listening to an interview with, with the politicians that we now have. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, you can. I mean, I've seen some people get really mad and go, "That's not what I asked you. Right, please answer right. the question." And they ask it again, and please answer it again. And if, well, you know, it never gets answered. They just right. skip over and go to you know whatever they want, uh, relative or or not, and there's never a direct direct answer. But right. the one thing I could see is um, if you're in town walking in a market, his picture was in every store window. It was on bumper stickers. It huh. was on pens. It was on children's backpacks that they went to school with and the water squeeze bottles. I mean, he was looked at as the Messiah, the coming, you know, or the coming of the Messiah. He was so respected but I don't think he was the brains behind everything. I think it was people like Dr. Al-Zawari who were looking at the technical part while he was the front man. He was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the p- person that was held out as uh, one of his things, you know, the lion-hearted, the man who uh, had all these millions, if not billions of dollars, and yet went to uh, fight the Russians and uh, received a wound while he was there. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, we need to take another break, unfortunately. My guest is Dr. Joseph Agris. Um, his book is Tears on the Sand. I want to get back to his story about bin Laden. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with Dr. Joseph Agris. His book is Tears on the Sand, and we're uh, talking about his meeting bin Laden and knowing where he was way before, apparently, the U.S. government did. So when you were talking with bin Laden, and you met with him uh, how many times? Five. And did you, during those times, or, you know, before the last time, did you plan all along to eventually tell um, the U.S. where he was, or was, was there just something that he said at the end, or, or, you know, something that changed your mind? Because wouldn't, I mean, did well, you feel actually, any kind of sense way. of betrayal? Um, Do you know what I mean, that here what, he's meeting with you? When I had the suspicions that he was in Abbottabad, and, and I had some confirmation of that, um, I was in Washington, and that's before I would want to consider it a betrayal or, you know, breaking Hippocratic oaths or, or anything like that. Um, it was a suspicion, and it was a, a well-based one. And I was at the State I was first had these meetings with a number of congressmen. And as I said before, you had to get through all these Interest. young people who, who were throwing roadblocks but then if you did get to the congressman, you'd find, go, oh, I'm on the economics committee. That's not mm-hmm. something. You need to go see so-and-so. And you go to him, he says, well, I used to be on international, but no, I'm on uh, right. transportation now. And they just blew you off. So I got kind of fed up with that, and I met one congressman that said, you know, let's get you an appointment at the State Department. And it was for the following Wednesday, and I flew back in. And uh, I had two purposes, one to go there, but at that time I was also being considered for the position of Surgeon General to the United States. And so we had meetings relative to that. And I left some hints about what I was doing and, and photos. And, you know, nobody cared. They really didn't seem interested. 
When I got at the State Department, they made me wait about two hours past my appointment time. And I don't have a lot of patience. You know, surgeons don't usually. Mm. And uh, I was biting my cheek and my tongue waiting. And finally I went over to the desk and asked the, uh, you know, there's police all over. And I said, you know, security, can I use the phone? And he finally agreed. And I called the appointment secretary. Well, things are running late today, you know, and I don't know if we'll be able to get to you and so on. Why don't you just have another seat for a few more minutes? A few more minutes was another half hour. Finally, I got back on the phone. This time, I think you could hear me around the whole lobby. I was not so pleasant. And they sent down just what we were talking about. I think they must have been 23, 24-year-old, and they didn't know what I was talking about. They didn't know whether Pakistan was or what was going on. They were just sent down to soothe me over and ask me to make another appointment. So I picked up the phone again. By this time, the security was really not real happy with me, and I got back to the appointment secretary, and then a lady came down who was in her 40s, and she understood the situation a little better, and I showed her some photos, and she got on the phone, and the secretary or the appointment secretary blew her off. Hmm. And so I said, you know what? I'm out of here. And I, <laughs> as I was walking out, I sort of had an escort with uh, two of the security officers, one at each elbow, gladly getting me through the door. Uh, and I said, you know, this is the hotel I'm staying at, and I'm here for a few more days with conferences with other people. And then that's when I got the idea. I said, you know what? This government isn't interested in this. Either they know where he is already, or nobody has the guts to do anything about it. And I'll tell you, before the takedown, our government knew at least 18 months to two or two and a half years where he was. And I think some of the problem was, well, do we send a drone and blow it up? But, yeah, how do we prove we got them? Do we drop a bomb on it? But, boy, if we do that, the whole neighborhood goes. How do we explain that? Well, then let's go to the Pakistani government and talk to them about it. No, that'll be all over, and he'll be gone. Well, maybe we should just talk about our Secret Service to their ISI, their Secret Service. No, that's not going to work, because that's almost all Islamists. Uh, so, finally... They came, well, let's do the helicopter thing, and then everybody went back, well, look what happened with Carter, and that's when the helicopters in the desert ran into each other and the whole thing went down the drain. Mm. And, you know, you don't want to be the president when you mm. send the force in and then your own, you know, you have a traffic accident with your own own equipment. Right. And then finally they decided to announce something that nobody knew about, and that was the stealth helicopters that nobody knew. I don't, wasn't even sure the president was aware that we had that piece of equipment at the time. And then after they decided all that, the next big step was, well, we got to train them. So they built a facsimile of his home huh. and then spent another six months going through the training and still... After they did that, they were still, is this the way we should go? Is this what we can do? Is Are we going to, you know, it's sort of like, and will he still be there? It's like no one could make a decision or, you know, mm -hmm. for a nicer word. Nobody had the kahanas to do anything. I think that's the nicer word I could mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with if you add all that time up, you've got 18 months maybe two and a half years, you know. Uh, so maybe they weren't so interested in what I had to say. Maybe they were 
couldn't decide what to do or when to do it, and they already had enough information or they had a pretty good idea. Uh, and here I was in the middle of the whole thing and, and you know, making more trouble or maybe spoiling it if, if I, you know, if so it got did, out. And, yeah. So did you meet with him again after the State Department or was it all beforehand? No, it was after. You met with him after? That was, that was when I decided... I was fed up with this whole thing, and I'm writing. I'm writing a book, mm-hmm. um, and let and, everyone know that way. And I was going to let everyone know that way, but by that time they had taken him down, uh-huh. and then I felt, you know, now I'm not painting such a big target on my back. I can do the book, and then I decided to include all the things like the drone attacks and the children and acid burning and women's problems and, and mm-hmm. it grew to 700 mm-hmm. pages. And I just want to um, I just want to get in the reason um, why you were why you were so concerned or you know was to because because you had discovered that um, the Muslim Brotherhood and Al Qaeda um, are stronger than ever. I mean you were you were discovering that um, that that 9/11 wasn't enough. That they were continuing to make plans to wipe out the West, which was why you were trying so hard to let somebody know about it, and still trying hard because these plans are still going on. Yeah, I'm afraid we have a false feeling of safety here, and that's really wrong. It's really wrong. Uh, the drug trade continues. The mother, money still flows back, and then there's the thing of the Russian nuclear suitcases that. Uh, Bin Laden and others in the Middle East have gotten their hands on. Several have ended up in Israel, and we know about that because they were lucky enough to find them. One ended up in England, and there's probably several others. They found that. And there's said to be maybe there's a dozen of them here in the States. Hmm. And uh, where are they? They're no bigger than a carry-on. The only thing that I can say to make everyone feel more comfortable is that you know, the nuclear material will last 20,000 years, but the trigger mechanism probably has a breakdown life mm. of less than six months so that it can't be, you know, you need someone with a physics background and maybe a chemist mm-hmm. background and maybe both. Plus, you've you got to be able to obtain the materials and the equipment to make something like that work. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, could they be here? Yeah. Are yeah. they probably here? Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on, if they got them in Israel and they were found, they got them in England they were found, uh, one of well, the biggest problems here is our borders. They're wide open. Not yes, just the absolutely. Well, Dr. Side, Agers, I'm going to have to have you on again. This is obviously one of my pet subjects. Uh, my book is, ba- is Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and one of my pet peeves is how people, what we were just talking about, how people are in denial and we need to be preparing, not just not with duct tape, but psychologically and physically for this uh, ultimate eventual event. Um, so I'm going to be, I, I'd love to have you back on again. I know we, well, thank you. there are lots of other uh, parts to the story that um, are really important for everyone to hear. Yeah, well, so, I hope so, everyone reads the book Tears, and they also read Your Coping with Terrorism, because denial is, is terrible. I mean, yes. being unprepared. and uh, Yes. So again, the book is Tears on the Sand, um, it's on Amazon and presumably in bookstores. And it should uh, be in the bookstore shortly. It is on Amazon. Yes, yes I just ma'am. saw it. It got it's, it's already out of stock, but you can still order it through Amazon. Oh, yeah, and order still it. order it. I through. mean, it's it's a sellout. Yes, uh, absolutely. 
Um, and Tears on the Sand, an American doctor's mission of mercy becomes the successful search for the world's most wanted man. So thank you very much. You've been uh, My guest again has been Dr. Joseph Agress. His book is Tears on the Sand. Do get it. This is very important. It's an amazing story. So thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.